This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to another double feature movie podcast. This is a slightly different one. Some audio issues have meant that we've had to re-record, and therefore I'm just solo. So I'm Jonathan Roberts, and welcome to the podcast. And before we get going, let's just remind you to step on the gas. Gas being Google, Apple, and Spotify. If you're listening to us on any of those, do like, rate, review. Give us five stars. It's Christmas almost. It's the time of giving. And in the spirit of Christmas, let's review our first film, Last Christmas. It stars Amelia Clarke, famously Khaleesi, Mother of Dragons and Game of Thrones, Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians, the legendary Michelle Yeoh, and Emma Thompson as Amelia Clarke's mother. She also wrote the story with her husband, Greg Rise, and she also wrote the screenplay. Bear in mind that Emma Thompson has won an Oscar for her screenwriting skills. That seems to be a different Emma Thompson that is here. It is a very mixed up film. Oh yeah, it also features uh, what seems very arbitrarily the music of George Michael and Wham. That's who gave the title of the movie, Last Christmas. And if you listen to the lyrics of Last Christmas, you'll get a hint of where the major twist is in this story. Uh, Yeah, there's a big twist. I won't reveal it here, but I'll just say that it doesn't quite stick the landing. In fact, as a rom-com, big fan of rom-coms, genuinely love a good rom-com. And a Christmas rom-com should be a no-brainer. Unfortunately, this seems to have gone awry somewhere. It's directed by Paul Feig, uh, who did The Marvelous Bridesmaids and Spy, a very underrated film with Melissa McCarthy, available on Netflix and now, I think, if you want to see it. It seems uh, mismatched in many places. This is I'm going to set in a Richard Curtis, very touristy version of London. Uh, Amelia Clark plays Kate, or Katarina, as her mother insists on calling her. She's an elf at a Christmas store run by Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh's character is called Santa because she loves Christmas so much. And this store, set in beautiful Covent Garden in London, has all the tacky Christmas stuff that you can possibly manage to cram into one small space. Likewise, there's lots of tacky Christmas stuff in this film. So Amelia Clark makes awful life decisions. She's meant to be very selfish, but we don't see that much of that. She just seems clumsy to the extent that, you know, like infomercial where someone seems to be making a much bigger deal of opening a jar than is necessary. Yeah, it's kind of like that in that her situation does not seem to warrant the vitriol that she receives from everyone around. So she gets kicked out of many places. She's sleeping on people's couches. She keeps on finding that, you know, she keeps on making mistakes. She's had some health scare in the past. And ever since then, her life has been falling apart. She longs to sing. She believes that she should be a singer. But at the moment, she's working with angry Michelle Yeoh, who generally gets a bit softer along the way. Michelle Yeoh is very good in this. I'd rather the film followed Michelle Yeoh than Amelia Clark's character. Uh, along the way, she meets Henry Golding, a charming, affable, Hugh Grantish in a sort of way, Karen character. And he's kind of, he's quite good in this. I quite enjoyed Henry Golding. He's affably charming. It's just a shame that the characters don't gel. And for a rom-com, there doesn't seem to be too much rom, there's not really too much com they don't get enough time together, frankly. I mean, he kind of keeps on disappearing. She wonders where he goes to. He doesn't have a phone, apparently. He keeps on saying the phone is left in the cupboard. Yeah, there is a big game-changing moment in this. It should be a huge reveal, and it seems to be cast off quite early on. So, I mean, part of this is that, you know, there's a redemptive arc for Amelia Clark's character that she does 
become a better person. She stops helping out at a homeless shelter. But then there's the big game-changing moment where she finds out who Henry Golding really is. Even though he's charmed her, he's taught her to do things like look up and notice the things on rooftops and all that kind of stuff. It's all very nice. The big game-changing moment is kind of lost because she gets over it very quickly. Uh, again, no spoilers, but if you listen to the lyrics of Last Christmas, you kind of know where it's kind of going, where this mysterious man who can't be contacted otherwise keeps on floating in and out of her life, floating in and out. Uh, yeah, it, that kind of goes away. She does a big benefit gig for this homeless shelter, at which point the film hits its absolute nadir in, in an audience of half homeless, half invited guests. She announces, we're so lucky which is, uh, I don't know, being homeless in winter in the UK, in London, does not seem like a good place to be lucky to be alive. Uh, I, I know it's meant to be positive, but it just seems very wrong-headed to do that. At which point, you know, we get to see, oh, Angela Ridgely's there. Angela Ridgely, George Michael's partner in crime in Wham. Uh, not that many people would actually recognize him because he's totally different. He just looks like any other graying businessman. Uh, yes, I suppose I should give special mention to Emma Thompson, who plays Katerina's mother, Eastern European, very Eastern European accent. Kind of caricaturish. At the same time, they try and make some kind of Brexit reference in that, that her family did escape from Yuga, former Yugoslavia back in the war, and then they had to come to UK. And now with all the Brexit stuff, there's a few people saying, you, you're not welcome in this country. It's uh, as subtle as a huge hammer across the chops. <sighs> Amelia Clark does not seem to be the right person for this. Henry Golding could fit the charming if nice, you know, on that kind of mums would like him kind of way. I really did like him. Amelia Clark just well, she seems a kind of bubbly Amelia Clark self, but I'm not sold on the character. I don't feel that, you know, she's that much of a terror. Everyone just seems to be getting on a case because there's not enough evidence shown of how awful she really is. Everything just seems kind of accidental. She doesn't seem as selfish as everyone says. So, yeah, it doesn't quite come off. It could have been wonderful. This could have been a, a Christmas classic on paper especially when you read the twist in. This could have been, you know, a big multiple handkerchief tear fest towards the end. And the George Michael stuff is just thrown in. I don't know why the connection. There's no real evidence that she's a fan of George Michael or how it's played into her life to warrant all these instances of George Michael tracks. I mean, some of them are quite nice to listen to again too, but they don't really fit with any of the narrative or any of the scenes. They don't really go together, just like next best fit. So, no, Last Christmas did not enjoy... I mean, it's shot beautifully, even the less salubrious areas of London. It does look wonderful. But wonderful shots do not a great movie make. Okay, so out on Netflix right now is The Irishman. Now, there's been a lot of buzz about this. It reunites Martin Scorsese with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, and brings in that other legend that is Al Pacino. Now, on one side, it looks like an absolute legendary picture. On the other, it could also have everything that's a recipe for disaster. Could easily be argued that this is just the same old names we treading the same old ground set out in Goodfellas and Casino in the early 90s. And at three and a half hours, it does smack of indulgence. That's a long time. And full disclosure, I saw this in a theatre environment where there is no chance for stop and snack options, or indeed, with this kind of running time, stop and pee options. It was go before you go. And it has to be said that De Niro and Pacino have got themselves into roles where they're having a lot of fun, but they're having fun at the expense of their 
legendary status. Uh, things like Jack and Jill, Dirty Grandpa, that kind of stuff. I mean, these were and are the greatest actors of their generation. And then there's a prospect of using de-aging, turning 70-somethings, as they are now, into well, 30, 40-somethings. This is not the easy job of taking a few years off Samuel Jackson, who's barely aged anyway. These are already sagging uh, actors. And if you just look at what they look like in the early 90s, you look at De Niro, and he's meant to be much older in Goodfellas. Yeah, he's a lithe, young beast there. I mean, there's a recipe for disaster here. At the same time, it's an absolutely astounding piece of work. This is absolutely everyone on their A-game. While I was watching it, the closest thing I could come to thinking of was it was like music. Everything flowed together. It was like a symphony of acting, which sounds very highfalutin and a bit too grandiose for these purposes, but that's exactly what it felt like. Nothing felt out of place. Each musician gets a solo moment, but no one grandstands. Even Al Pacino and his more wilder moments. Everything is working together to create a grand piece, and Scorsese conducts and directs perfectly. So it's based on the book I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt. This chronicles the life of Frank Sheeran, who's played by De Niro, as he rises through the ranks of labor unions and the mob as a hitman, essentially. Because this takes him from the 50s to, well, to present day. Now, the de-aging stuff does not quite hit the mark every time. It, does, it only takes a few years off them, so there's a bit of leeway that you have to give it there. They don't all look like 30, and there's a bit that you really can't get rid of, which is they may look younger in the face, but it just shows what the aging process is because they stand like old men. So it doesn't quite come off, but it's not that distracting. So he's introduced to Jimmy Hoffa, who's played by Al Pacino. Hoffa being a superstar in the world of unions throughout the 50s and 60s. A firebrand figure, he had a huge amount of sway with the unions. He was very politically minded and was seen as a thorn in the side to everyone else. There's a running joke all the way through of, you kids won't remember who Jimmy Hoffa is. In fact, for most people, his most famous thing in 1975, I think it's 75, he mysteriously disappeared. Everyone thought it was a mob hit, but his body was never recovered. And to some extent, after that, he just became a punchline. So if you lost something, you know, the joke would be maybe it's with Jimmy Hoffa. Frank becomes a, a bodyguard, stroke enforcer, stroke confident to Jimmy Hoffa. And in this, there are some standout performances. I mean, De Niro has never been better, whether he's an old man or the younger version. It's, there's nuances in his performance that suggest the age difference. And it is perfection and just this kind of cold distance of a, of a man whose horrendous acts that he's committed coming to bear down on his life it's wonderful but the real standout for me is Joe Pesci now Joe Pesci in Scorsese films is famous for playing hotheads especially in Goodfellas especially in Casino you know the arguments that him and De Niro have in Raging Bull all the time hotheads quick to anger here he plays Russell Buffalino a mob boss uh, his exact position is never quite known but you know he's a he is way way up there but his demeanor he is never less than charming he's never less than affable he's a pure gentleman every time and that is what makes him so much more sinister that is what brings him so much closer to being the devil himself there is something so unnerving that he is just charm himself and people know that they need to behave around him Something that really stands out in the film is 
the casual nature of the violence. It's not uh, a grandstand moment. It's not. They're not iconic as they have been in things like Casino and Goodfellas. Frank walks up to somebody, takes out his hand from his pocket. There's a pop. The other fellow falls down, and Frank keeps on walking. There's so little fanfare to it that it's shocking, and it's kind of a a realization of just what the true nature of violence is. It's the cold. It's done in such a way that's yeah, it's, it's normalized. It reflects on how Frank feels about this. Is that it's just part of his job. It's just like delivering a letter. There's no, he doesn't feel anything for it. It's just just happens, and by that, it's even more shocking. Um, there are other great roles in this. Uh, Stephen Graham, who's worked with Scorsese before, playing Al Capone in Broadwalk Empire. He's really good as a younger member of the mob who uh, is at odds with Jimmy Hoffa. The other role that has a huge effect is that of Frank's daughter, Peggy. Lucy Galena plays the young Peggy, who is all wide-eyed and looking to see, and has the first-hand experience of just how violent her father can be. Uh, who, when an altercation down at the corner store leads to him going down and beating the store owner, even though I think Peggy's in the wrong in that. But it's the older Peggy, played by Anna Paquin. Kind of controversially played by Anna Paquin because people have said, why has she got no dialogue? You know, she's been underserved by the screenwriting. It's been seen as a failing of Scorsese to not have any strong female roles in this. I'd argue that Anna Paquin's almost near silent performance as Peggy it has quite a bit of power because she has had enough of her father and all he wants is to have her talk to him again. And so she's always silent. But in that kind of spectral quality of occasionally being there in his life and him not even being able to get through to her. And it's that element of losing what you needed to have close to you to get very deep. I mean, Frank is uh, someone who's realized that from his days in the war, he has lost a side of his humanity. Killing to him is just a day at the office. He, d- he thinks nothing of it, but he realizes just how much that has taken away from his humanity. So there is an element of this that is possibly for older people. It's that commentary on aging and how you get older and you lose relevance to the younger crowd. I mean, as the joke is, you know, do you remember who Jimmy Hoffa is? No, people have moved on. And just like, you know, these guys who were big in the mob, eventually they become nobodies. I think also just on the Joe Pesci acting front, he is amazing as a much older version of Russell. What he brings to that, the frailty, the shaking, it's incredibly moving. That even though, I mean, that's the weird thing, that even though these guys are out and out the bad guys I mean they, they have done terrible terrible things you still feel a pang of you still feel for them in a way that's a bit twisted but I mean that's what you know you want your movie to do when it comes to scoring I mean I I think this is just the most wonderful thing in terms of acting it's definitely a 4.5 I, I just little bits of it I would dial down from a full 5 out of 5 but you know anyway that is where we'll leave this current version of Double Feature Movie Podcast. Thanks for bearing with me, and thank you for listening, and we'll be back. Until then, and another Double Feature, goodbye. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. 
Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.